may be around the world and thank you for joining us once again on truthtoyou.org. That's truth2letteryou.org. I'm Jono and joining me in the virtual Truth To You studio all the way from Ireland is Jason of spiritualbabies.net. Hey, listen, yeah. what's the latest? Uh, you're doing another program now. What's going on? Can well, we talk about that? Uh, we can a little bit. There will what? be a radio show coming soon Ooh. on a radio station in Israel. But really? so I'm quite excited about that because uh, we'll get we'll we'll be on the same radio station as Tamar Yona and uh, Rabbi Singer and Rabbi David Aaron and a whole load of other um, really cool people and it's to be uh, and and um, Ira and Rod from Nativ to be included in that stable pretty neat. Um, nice. Can we put a can we put a link on this post? We can. Oh, we can. We will put the website for the radio station up, and as soon as I'm gonna do that. yeah, as soon as we have something um, hard. Very nice. And in Indonesia is the author of Let's Get Biblical: Why Doesn't Judaism Accept the Christian Messiah? Volumes one and two. Not just one volume, but two people. I mean, just two. You've got to get them both. You can get a copy from outreachjudaism.org. His website, outreachjudaism.org. You can get them on Amazon. Welcome back to the program, Rabbi Tobias Singer. Great to be back. My daughter said to me when I told her that my new book is to be a thousand pages long, she said, um, Abba, nobody reads thousand page books, so I made them into volumes. <laughs> she said, no one reads thousand page books. Listen, and there might be a third volume. There is a third uh, in volume. The in the there is a third yeah, When, when can we expect that? What's going on? Oh. Uh, you know, it's, it depends on how many shows I have to do. Should <laughs> <laughs> I just snort? Could you take that? You, I did. Did you know, I, I spend most of my time editing out your snorts. <laughs> oh, thank you. That's all right. But that one I'm going to leave in. I really, very great. <laughs> now, we did. Last November, we went on the Tanakh tour, of course, the Tanakh tour of Israel. We're going to be doing it again this November as well. Uh, and but, but I just wanted to talk about today about the Golan Heights, Tobia, because I have never been there before until until last November. I, I and I couldn't believe that I'd never been to the Golan Heights. It's such a beautiful and intriguing place with incredible history that I am still yet to wrap my head around. This is why you're on the program today. It really was a highlight of the tour, and one of the reasons for that uh, is because we. We, we wanted to go to, we had an agenda, didn't we? We had a, uh, an itinerary, Tobia. We wanted to go to uh, Tel Dan. And we wanted to go to, just because it's, you know, it's around the corner, we thought, let's go and uh, check out the, the, the views off the top of Nimrod's castle. Now, for some reason, God was angry with us that day, Tobia, and it was just incredibly windy, you remember. Yeah. Wasn't it unbelievably windy? We got all the way up to... Uh, Nimrod's castle, and they said to us, "Look, guys, it's too windy. You get off the bus, you'll 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 fall off the castle. It's just it'll blow you off. It's just way too windy. We're closing it." We thought, "Okay, no worries." So we got back in uh, to the the bus. We went down to Tel Dan, and we wanted to go and check that out. But a tree had fallen down on the uh, the visitor center there at Tel Dan, and they were closed. Now, Shuki, our tour guide, what a great guy! He had a he had a marvelous idea. He didn't leave us hanging. He took us to a couple of places on the Golan Heights. One of them was a, a, a Syrian military headquarters on the border, up, up near the border of, uh, of Syria and Israel, 
uh, and it was all it was it was actually bombed out by Syria. And uh, he took us all the way through this. It was an amazing place to be, a real highlight of the tour that nobody. I mean, I'd, I've never heard of anyone doing such a thing. He also took us to a Syrian bunker that uh, that was used against Israel. This is um, uh, you know we we went down into it and checked it all out. And I mean, it was amazing. That area used to be Syria, and this is what I want to. I want to try and figure this out. I know that uh, originally, Tovio, um, the Golan was inhabited by the Amorites. The Amorites are descendants of Canaan. We, we read in Genesis chapter ten, verse fifteen. I know that uh, the Golan was known as Bashan, if I've got that right, and it was uh, inhabited by Dan and Manasseh. They, they, for the most part, kicked out uh, the Amorites. The Amorites are one of the uh, the seven nations mentioned in uh, what is it Deuteronomy chapter seven, where God says you are to have nothing to do with them, you are to utterly destroy them, you do not take part in anything to do with them, you don't have any contracts, you don't get married to them, uh, and uh, eventually, as I said, uh, Bashan uh, was inhabited by Dan and Manasseh. There was a city in Bashan called Golan, and that's why today it's called the Golan Heights. And am I to understand, Tobia, first of all, am I to understand that the Golan, uh, the city Golan, was a city of refuge? Yeah, yeah. It was one of the, what's called the Ore Miklot. Uh, that means that um, for those who had uh, murdered unintentionally but recklessly, they needed a place, a city to escape to, and particularly a place that was very well marked. And while in that city, the... The perpetrator uh, was safe from revenge from any of the relatives, and um, and it had to be very well marked. All the cities, and one of them was the Golan, that city. Strangely, the Torah tells us that uh, there were, although there were signs all over the land of Israel for numerous uh, cities of refuge, um, they didn't have signs for which way to Jerusalem. That was deliberately done. So if you were walking around in the ancient world on the roads, mm-hmm. and you're looking for signs, because I have, I, I don't know why, but I have no sense of direction. I can get lost in the shower. So I, <laughs> to me, whoever came up with the Android and putting GPS, I'm very grateful. But <laughs> without it, I don't know. It was Life was not simple. I basically... Uh, so, but in the ancient world, like, how did you know? So there were signs, but they in in the land of Israel they deliberately did not put signs up to how to get to Jerusalem, but they did put signs up how to get to a city of refuge for obvious reasons. A person had to get there quickly. But in fact, uh, the the prophets, the nation of Israel, wanted people who were going to be Olaregel, who were going to Jerusalem. Bring, bring a sacrifice, so particularly visiting the holy city for uh, one of the three festivals. They wanted them to ask others, how do I get to Jerusalem? And the other person goes, you're going to Jerusalem? I'll go with you. And the idea was, by not having signs, it would create a, uh, a, a stream of people going to the mountain above every mountain. So, yes, the city of Golan is, uh, was, uh, part of, was, an RA, was one of the R.A. Miklat, one of the cities of, of refuge, right. yeah. Now, I, I'm, I'm guessing then for that reason, we also read in uh, 1 Kings chapter 4, I think it is, King Solomon uh, appoints governors in the region. Um, later on, we have uh, King Ahab. Um, he contends with the Arameans for control of, of uh, the region. 
region of the Golan. Further down the track, we have uh, it, it's, it's under control by the Assyrians and then the Babylonians and then the Persian Empire. And at some stage there, what is it, the 5th century BCE, is it now, just correct me if I'm wrong, Toby, or is it Cyrus who allows the Jewish exiles Babylon to return uh, and some of which re-inhabited the Golan? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, the Cyrus was a... It was a, a generous king, not just with the Jews, but we know from archaeological finds that with with everyone, uh, with other nations, they were allowed to return after the sudden uh, destruction of the of the Babylonian Empire and the emergence of, uh, of the Persian Empire. I, I should say, just for those of you who are considering joining us in our upcoming tour in November, the Land of Israel, if you're interested in, in snorkeling, if you're interested in going to the beach, this is. Do you the, know what? This you know, I, before you go you, on, go well, I wish it. Uh, you know, I at one point I did look into uh, the possibility of going down to. Is it Ilat? Ilat, yeah. But it's way too far. But I mean, the, apparently the diving there is great. But it is. it's too far. It is. It's not possible to do everything in one tour. I would love to be able to do a diving tour. But this is not the tour no, for diving. No, no, no. If you want to go diving, just stay a few extra days beyond the tour or come earlier. Uh, but uh, I did my dive master degree in a lot. It's Oh, you did? Oh, okay. yeah. It's fabulous diving and very easy dive. So it's, it's brilliant diving. But it, and by the way, it's not far, even by the by Australian, which is a small country. <laughs> well, it's not far by Australian standards, though. But but when <laughs> no, you're no, in a bus, it's, though, it's, when you've got to go all the way down there and all the way back. Yeah, it's about, let's say it's a four-hour drive from Jerusalem, you know. Mm. It's, I've done it in three hours, but that's like with uh, no car. I mean, no, uh, <laughs> no traffic. But basically, yeah, we're not doing that. We are going to places in Scripture. And for instance, you have in the very famed... Uh, argued over chapter Psalm 22, the bulls of Bashan. Uh, Bashan, that's the oh, Golan Heights. This is yeah. this is a lush area. But here, here's just the here's just the caveat, and that is that um, although everything we look at is scripture, I mean, bring your Bible with you for your map. Much of the things that we saw are the miracles that God has performed for the nation of Israel in modern times, and particularly the liberation of the Golans mm. in the in the at the end, basically on June ninth and tenth of nineteen sixty seven, and the miracles of how to liberate, you, how Israel liberated at a high, relatively high cost. Overall, that's what I want to talk. I want to talk about very that. high, very high price Israel based. I want to I want to get that. But before before we do. Get there, though, Tobia. I'll just um, let everyone know. Jason unfortunately missed out on on this uh, Golan experience, didn't he, mate? Because we were. Uh, I mean, it was an, it was an incredible day, and it was such a shame that you weren't there. Unfortunately, something you ate, I think, didn't agree with you, right? Um, we call that over here Delhi Belly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, um, it wasn't good. It wasn't pretty. It was just it as well you weren't on the bus. But but last week <clears throat> you brought to my attention that that area uh, came under control of the of the Greeks. Uh, it was actually it was Alexander the Great, the, the Great, and then is it the Seleucid Greeks? I think it's pronounced. And therefore, it did receive a little bit of Maccabee action there as well, right? Yeah, the Hasmoneans, yeah. Um, and, I mean, there's lots of really cool places uh, uh, and events connected to it. 
um, Golan itself, I think, means um, circle mm-hmm. or uh, like a direction around something, like a mm-hmm. to di- di- uh, like a diversion around something, um, mm-hmm. which I find really interesting because. All right. So when I when I hear about um, your experiences, when I look at uh, pictures of the area and topic topographical maps and the presence of these bulls, that must have been a really big deal. I think of um, the Highlands in Scotland or the mountainous areas in France where these um, bulls are the only things that can exist up there. They're strong enough to take the weather. And I wonder if that's why these bulls were um, so prolific and why the area was known for them because it was a rough rocky area and i also wonder if that's why it got that name <laughs> you should go around rather than trying to go through because it was a difficult place to live it might be oh, one boy. of the reasons it was given up to these people because it was a place where once you were there you wouldn't want to travel backwards and forwards from it you'd be there for good one interesting um addition is um, there's uh, quite a famous person mentioned in Josephus's um, mm. uh, History of the Jews, I think. Um, yeah. Alexandra um, Yanaeus. He was um, a king married to a very famous queen who I did a program on. You can find it on my YouTube channel, Plug Plug. Um, mm. Salome. Um, and she was um, very responsible for protecting the Pharisees at that period of time. And so there's an interesting link um, here where he was ambushed by a king in that area. So it's not as if, because we, you know, when we look at it, we think it's miles away from anywhere and it hasn't had any impact except for being this city of refuge. But it's not. It seems like it's a key political military place. Where if you control that, you control the areas around it. And if you um, you can use it for settlement, you can use it for offensive and defensive and for ambush. So there's a lot going on there. And I wish I had been there. I wish I hadn't been um, somewhere else. Oh, listen, I, there's no way that uh, now that I've been there, there's no way that the, Go- the Golan can be left off the itinerary. We must, we must go back there. Uh, it was an amazing place. Now, after the Mac, but by the way, give me the link of that program. We'll put that on this post as okay. well. Uh, the uh, Arts of the Maccabee action that I mentioned, uh, the Romans, I, I'm to understand, annexed or absorbed the Golan into the uh, province of Syria, but Caligula restored the territory to, uh, to Herod's grandson, Agrippa. And uh, when Agrippa died, the Romans then annexed the Golan to Syria, and it was promptly returned in, uh, to, to, uh, when Claudius traded the Golan to Agrippa II uh, in 51 as part of a land swap. Then Rome allowed him to retain that uh, until he died, I, I think it was, and then the Golan went back to Syria, I'm to understand. But in that jostling back and forth, Tobia, and, and uh, Jason, you already met, uh, mentioned Josephus, but Tobia, Gamla, can you give us a rundown of the Gamla-Josephus connection? Because Gamla, I'm to understand, is a town of, of the Golan. Am I, am I correct there? Yes, and it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's tragic, and I often think about it, and I'm, I'm angered by it. Mm-hmm. Meaning that in the, in the wars that Jews engage with, uh, with Rome, um, they, they fought in a nearly impossible situation. There was so much division among the Jewish people. And the Jews who fought Rome when they were in a, un, a militarily untenable position, they often would take a suicide pact 
where they would essentially kill each other. They would draw lots or straws like it was done in Masada, and they would each kill each other until the last person would commit suicide. And uh, and then rather than go into slavery, uh, you know, to Rome or now yeah. again, Gamla is a, uh, a town that was built up on a rise, uh, not as big as uh, Masada, but in a similar way, if I'm to understand correctly from what, what I've looked at at the topography and whatnot. And they, and it tells a, a similar story. Right. Yeah, it's a very similar story. It's very upsetting because it according is. to Jewish, I mean, no one should die rather than be a slave. It, one must, in Jewish law, give their lives not to convert to another religion. But mm-hmm. the Romans did not demand that the Jews abandon their faith. They were allowed to maintain the faith, which the Romans generally had a lot of respect for. Uh, they just, to them, it was kind of this nationalism that it's better be dead than to be a slave of Rome, and that was that's but why. Is it, is it just yeah. that? Is it just that though, Tobia? Because like when I when I think about this, and I think about Masada as well, I think yes, a lot of them will end up as slaves. But surely, I mean, man, the Romans weren't nice people. <laughs> surely, uh, after a siege situation by which there is battle back and forth, there's going to be some retribution as well. Uh, which everybody is going to witness, and then those that survive are, are, are perhaps either prostituted or, or if lucky they become, if lucky they become slaves. I guess is my uh, my point. Is not then the the option of some kind of dignified suicide pact no, uh, no, better? It's not better. No, Tell me no. why. Only the only one time in history that the Jews were sanctioned to commit suicide, and that's during the the Crusades. And that we, we see many times in the area close to where Jason lives. And that's when the Jews were taken by the church. So then they were at, at the point of a sword and they were tortured to get baptized. Now, in that case, that's totally different. Because in that case, the Jews felt that they would never be able to withstand the torture and they would convert to Christianity as such, worship idolatry, and we better for them to die because this way, because they knew that they would never this happened in England, in northern England. There were, there were whole castles filled with Jews. The Jews all just committed suicide. That was different. Here, the Romans were not doing that. Certainly, as you fought and fought in untenable wars, so by that time, the Romans were very angry. What the Romans would have done with the Jews on Masada had in 73, when the Romans came in, the Jews had their hands up. What would they have done with the Jews? Obviously, it wouldn't have been a good situation, but it could have been negotiated. The point was that if you're not being forced to convert to another religion, and you can live as a slave, but as a Jew, then it's better to, there's, there's no such thing as just dignity. Human life is, is just too precious and too valuable, and you're not, it's forbidden. The Torah says, you're not allowed, you, it's, your life does not belong to you that you can give it away, unless you're being forced to violate three cardinal sins, which they weren't. So, therefore, but things went completely out of hand. Also, understand the sages' view of the war with Rome is different than what historians would say. As far as the sages were concerned, we were Jews were fighting Rome for no reason other than a basis hatred and division among Jews, and therefore we, it's our own introspection that would bring about the change. But the Romans weren't, this is critical, 
real anti-Semitism, with the exception of Amalek, did not really exist until the advent of Christianity. It wasn't personal like today. We weren't fighting Hamas. It, the Romans were not Hezbollah, where they would just just kill everybody. It was to their advantage. We're talking about hundreds of thousands, maybe million Jews. It was to their advantage to have the slave labor and not to kill everybody, except for the leaders, perhaps, who you know who Rome could have used to make a point out of. Now, uh, I'm not making any promises, but I would love to, in fact, I will investigate uh, whether or not in this coming tour uh, we can visit Gamla. Have you, have you been there? Yeah, 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 I've been to all over the Golan Heights. I, I, I need to, because it must be stated, I, I think people who are listening to the show right now think that the Golan Heights is like a, a little mountain. Or, you know, it isn't. It's a massive area, approximately, hold on to your head on this, the Golan Heights, the whole this whole plateau is enormous. It's about seven hundred and fifty square miles. That's huge. Oh, wow. Of yeah. which Israel has liberated five hundred square miles of it. So Israel controls two thirds of a massive plateau. I don't know the numbers. There has to be, let's say, 35,000 Jews who live there. This is a, a wonderful place with, I mean, very, I mean, divine. Ugh, and, mm. and to think, I remember once, I'll never forget this, I had a lecture up in, in Tiveria, and I was coming to the Sea of Galilee on my way to a public speaking engagement at a hotel, and it was during the time when Ehud Barak and Bill Clinton were no, negotiating, yeah. and people thought that the, that uh, Barak would give the Golan to Syria, who had control of this area from the from the uh, from forty eight to sixty seven, because uh, really it was under the French, and the French then gave it over to the Syrians in forty six or forty seven. So the Syrians only had it for like twenty years. But, uh, you know, people think, like, Syria was always there, and it was always in the Golan. It's nonsense. People don't know what they're talking about. It's been 50 years with Israel, less than 20 years with Syria. And I looked out of the window of this car that was driving me up, and suddenly the Golan, which looks like a fortress, I mean, it's just thousands of feet high. Its highest point is actually 10,000 feet high. That's in Mount Hermon. Mm. I just started crying like a baby. I remember I said to myself, please, God, don't, don't let this happen. Imagine today, my friends, imagine if, God forbid, if, if, if Ehud Barak, when he was prime minister, somebody would have given that to Syria. That means that that land would be in the hands of ISIS and Al-Qaeda right now mm -hmm. that are fighting in Syria. Could you imagine how, how de deadly that would be? That land from 48 to 67, that's, those are the formative years of the state of Israel, uh, prior to the 67 war, was used as a launching point, as a, as a missile launching pad to shoot at demilitarized zones throughout the Galilee that were used by Israelis for farming. And that's what it is. Mm. I mean, they literally, Israel had to develop um, tractors that were armored because the Syrians would just shoot at people just harvesting their, their food. And it was in the part of the armistice agreement, the agreement following the ceasefire of the war of Israel's war of independence, that land would not be militarized, neither would the Syrians militarize the area they were shooting from. It was a 
disaster. And ultimately, Moshe Dayan, who is the defense minister of the IDF uh, in in this in a miraculous '67 war, he wasn't a right wing guy, but he was a brilliant tactician, a, a genius on the battlefield, and he had to be convinced and convinced and pushing to um, to 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 go to the Golan to liberate it. I think mm. something like 140, maybe 150 Israeli soldiers died going up that mountain. And if you look at it, look at the photographs, you'll understand why. If you join us in November, you will understand completely uh, the sacrifice that was made by our men to liberate that area. And there was also, there's this, you know, every, just briefly, I mean, how did Israel even know how to bomb the Golan Heights? Granted, Israel had destroyed the Syrian um, air force. And I'll just explain this one point. Mm. Israel had destroyed the Syrian air force, as the Egyptian air force as well, uh, in the early hours, literally, of the 67 war. But to explain what John was saying and why this was so difficult is that Syria had built a very extensive network of bunkers, which we visited on our tour, mm. and we're going to go back there. It was fascinating. But they had underground bunkers that, from the air, you just didn't even know, you would, you would ordinarily not know where to bomb, because these bunkers are all very well camouflaged. Mm. How do you, so what do you bomb? You just bomb the whole plateau. It's, it's inconceivable. But as it turns out, there was a man who we should remember, who was a spy oh, for the Mossad, Eli, Eli, Eli Cohen. Eli Cohen, and a, a yeah. Jew, an Egyptian Jew who was a Mossad agent, who rose in power to, they thought, Eli Cohen almost became one of the most powerful men in politically in the Syrian hierarchy of military. Mm. It was stunning. And what happened is a photograph of Eli Cohen, who's an Israeli Mossad agent, who is looking out at, from the Golan, you know, and you know, looking out at the 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 the, the towns in the Galilee, and he said, you know, all these Syrian bunkers are out and exposed to the sun, and in truth, uh, the Israeli bunkers, the Israeli military bunkers, he said, the Zionists, their their soldiers are well taken care of by the Zionists. That's what he would say, though. Mm -hmm. He says, but we don't take care of our boys because he's a spy. So he's saying to them, they're out exposed to the sun in these bunkers, and they have nothing to protect them from the elements. So they asked him, what do you think they should do? And he suggested that they, they build a, they plant, they, they plant uh, these trees, um, you know, I think I think they were eucalyptus trees. Yeah, I think the they were the, the Australian eucalyptus right, they trees. Put a eucalyptus tree next to each bunker, and this way the Syrian soldiers will have some relief from the from the hot oh. climate. So <laughs> now he was tragically the Soviets had developed advanced at that time advanced detection equipment mm. to detect espionage and. It, at one point, it's so sad. I interviewed Ellie Cohn's brother, who also passed away since then, also a member of the Mossad. But he was discovered, I think, in 1964. But the key is that Ellie Cohn had uh, the Syrians built a eucalyptus tree next to every Syrian bunker. So, therefore, in the 67 war, Israel was fighting really its 
of planes were, to large measure, French Mirage jets. Um, mm -hmm. At the time, of America was in, in, in deeply uh, uh, bogged down in Vietnam and Southeast Asia. So Israeli pilots simply bombed the eucalyptus trees right next to every eucalyptus yeah. they bombed it and that's how they were it's one of the contributing factors to how it was destroyed but it was a very difficult fight but ultimately Hashem as it says in Zechariah 14 verse 3 God went to battle for the Jewish people we are going mm. to see this you will see the eucalyptus trees you will see the, I, the, the, the um, there, and there were and I'm so glad you brought that up because I didn't think of that at the time and there were eucalyptus trees everywhere around that around that particular bunker that we went down into right yeah now, now the other place that I mentioned to the listeners at the beginning of the program, we went to, and just explain this for them, because we went to a, a Syrian military headquarters, and yet it, uh, Shuki took us here and he said, look, we're right on the border, we're 100 meters from the border, this was a Syrian military headquarters, and yet it is entirely bombed out, and there's bullet holes, and there's, there's uh, massive holes in the floor, and through the wall, and all this stuff. And he said, but it was bombed by the Syrians. Why? Because the Israelis took it, and then the Israelis used it, and so the, the Syrians were attacking the, their own structure. When was that? How did that happen? Yeah, so what, okay. well, you have to bear in mind, uh, just know this. If you, please God, you will join us in November. We, uh, our tour is uh, quickly filling up. But know this, uh, listeners, and, and those who will partake in this uh, very exciting tour. Every place we're going to walk was paid for in Jewish blood. People paid an enormous price. There are women who go to bed alone every night because their husband was killed fighting for the land that you're going to walk through. Um, so in 67, Israel was, it was, I mean, literally in six days, you know, worked on the seventh rest, literally it was a six-day war. It was uh, one of the great battles of in the annals of uh, military uh, confrontation. But tragically, uh, six years later, in October, in the Yom Kippur War, now remember, Israel is in control of the Golan Heights, mm -hmm. and Syria wants it back. The, this miracle really is mind-blowing, because remember, now the Golan is in the hands of Israel. Israel offered, immediately after the 67 war, they offered to return the Golan to Syria for full normalization and peace, as they did to all the countries, with the exception of Jerusalem. They said, we'll return in exchange for peace. The Arabs in September, in, in late August, early September, gathered in the Sudan in Khartoum, and they famously issued their three no's, no peace, no negotiation, no normalization, and they rejected it. But Israel was ready to... So now, so now we're fast-forwarding six years to October 6th at, uh, at uh, 2 o'clock in the afternoon the Yom, on Yom Kippur. It was, by the way, in the middle of Ramadan, which I always found striking, mm. because when the American coalition forces attacked uh, Saddam, it was during Ramadan, they said, oh, you shouldn't go to war in Ramadan, it's not nice, he gets in the middle of an Arab holiday, Muslim holiday, and, like, and I'm like going, wait, that didn't seem to bother you in, in 1973. Anyways, they, um, ah, so Israel was thoroughly unprepared for this. Uh, at that time already, this is Golda Meir was the prime minister of mm -hmm. Israel, 
information and intelligence have been given to her, just as Roosevelt had intelligence information that was being thrown around that the Japanese were planning an attack on American soil, and he ignored it, she ignored it. It was an absolute disaster. She eventually would resign as a result of the reports. But the key point is that that, during the Yom Kippur, which is a national holiday in Israel, you can't even fly into the country on Yom Kippur, there was only one, two, three operational tanks in the Golan, Israeli tanks, that is. And the, and, but there were soldiers there, but just Israel had a certain sense of self-confidence after the overwhelming success of 67. I remember it as a child. I mean, the world stood, was in Hebrew, nishtoimim. They were just, the whole world was just shocked. And I remember as a little boy, I remember my grandmother crying. I remember people were shocked. So the Israel, there was in Israel a certain going, they were so powerful. The Arabs would never dare pull such a stunt. And it was that arrogance that the Israelis had, that the Jews had there at the time, that led to them being un- thoroughly unprepared in the south with a foolish Barlev line in the north in the Golan. There was almost no tanks there. In fact, what we had in the Golan really was one guy, he, literally, with a tank, operational tank, who was fighting the Syrians all night, shooting mm. from different areas, using Davidkas and bl- shooting. He won Israel's highest military honor for doing it, mm. but Syria comes in with 1,200 tanks, and he's shooting all over the place. So, yeah, there were soldiers there that was bombed to pieces by the Syrians because now Israeli soldiers are using the same bunkers that the Syrians were using. Amazing. You better, those of you who are coming, you better appreciate what was done. I mean, you take it for granted, and you think about, I don't know how to say, these idiots, we had Israeli leaders who were really stupid, because today, you know, we were talking about, John was talking about, there was a lot of winds, <laughs> those winds. We oh. were in the, yes, it was very windy, we were Mount Carmel, forget about it, but it was windy, it was beautiful, I mean, beautiful windy, but the key is, we were also all the way up in the very northernmost part of the land of Israel, where the both the Syrian and the Lebanese border was right before our eyes. What was before our eyes is ISIS and Al-Qaeda and Hezbollah, and their strongholds were within vision. So, mm. you know, we could have been eat, drinking a martini or whatever, and these guys are at it, you know, at it with each other, and the Syrian rebels and the Syrian... Don't ask us. Now, we were complete safety. We were literally in a villa in the midst of a jungle. So we had a... We had a, we had a uh, what they call a white person's problem. <laughs> wasn't really, I mean, I don't, you know, these terrorist organizations are just little. I mean, literally one kilometer away are sitting there at each other's throats. Mm. It's an amazing place to be. I can't wait to get back there. And uh, thank you for – I knew you'd be able to nutshell that for us. Thank you very much for uh, a quick rundown of the history of the Golan and, uh, and also for bringing up, again, uh, Ellie Cohen. Uh, people should look his name up, Ellie Cohen, and, and get the full story there. It is an amazing story. Jason, any, any final thoughts, my friend? Yeah, I don't want um, people to worry. So, I mean, I know when you hear the word Golan Heights, especially um, if you're not familiar with Israel – you instantly get images of death and destruction and bombs. Um, And while you're there, you'll see the result of those actions, but you're completely safe. And in fact, in Israel in general. So since the tour, I've had a few people that have said, you went to Israel? Why would you go to Israel? Isn't it like really dangerous? Um, No, is the answer. 
it's not it's not at all dangerous um when we were there i don't think i felt as safe in on in any other country i've been to up mm. and up and you know i think i've got more chance of getting shot two weeks in the states than i have of being attacked and killed <laughs> right. in israel but for real i think the statistics yeah. that for tourists are much higher in israel there was an idf soldier at least one on the corner of nearly every road we traveled down um, so I don't want people to, to fret that it's not a safe um, environment because it's completely safe. Not only that, every morning before the tour sets out, the the, the driver and the, the tour company guide have collected intel to see whether where we're going that day is okay. And if it isn't, we don't go. It's simple. Mm. But, but for the most part, everything was beautiful and security is our top priority. And, uh, and I will definitely be going I, to I, I, just, just, I need to explain this something. It's called the Tuckman Law and why it is. I mean, I, I speak to you, the listener. Why is there such a disparity between what is perceived by people who've never been to Israel and those who have gone to Israel coming back going, I don't feel that safe in my own kitchen? So there's a reason going, what do you mean? It's The answer is that in Israel, in this whole country, so if somebody throws a stone, it's front page of every newspaper in the world, literally. Mm. Think about your world newscast every night. How much of it is devoted to the Middle East? I mean, I don't have to explain this. Mm. But mm. imagine for a moment, take any country you want. Let's take the United States, take Ireland. Imagine if every violent act committed in Ireland, every murder committed in the United States, in Houston, in Dallas, in New York, in San Francisco, was reported on the front page. No one would ever step foot there, because they think the whole thing. So what happens is that in Israel, anything that happens becomes of enormous interest in the global news, and that creates a, a very highly distorted view of what's really going on. I, too, have never felt safe from that. It's the only place I, let, I would let my kids girls run around Israel anywhere in the middle of the night, mm. not a problem at all. I would never in the United States, but in Israel is not a problem at all. But that there's a reason for that, and that is you're getting a very skewed view by the news, Because, but imagine if the news reporter on every, any violent, every violent act in your seat, I don't care where you are, no one ever step foot there, you think you get killed in two seconds, so that's what mm. happens. Mm. Uh, it's a wonderful thing that, uh, despite the BDS movement as well, um, <laughs> the tourism industry in, in uh, Israel is hammering ahead. I can't, I can't wait to be a part of it in uh, November on the Tanakh tour this coming November. Dear listeners, you can uh, come with us. The bus is filling up, but there is still seats available. Uh, you can go to truth2u.org, truth2u.org. Uh, for further information, I will put a link on this post. Thank you, Jason of spiritualbabies.net for coming back on the program. Rabbi Tobia Singer of uh, outreachjudaism.org and also tobiasinger.tv, right? Tobiasinger.tv, where all your videos are. And, uh, and be sure to check out Jason's YouTube channel as well. Thank you, gentlemen. We'll be speaking again very soon. Until then, dear listeners, be blessed and be set apart by the truth of our Father's Word. Shalom. Shalom.